the Monday Rewind. Batters won this game by 19 points to 16. Leinster are pretty much out of the running when it comes to a place in the knockout stages after a gamey, resilient, stubborn performance but a performance in which their scrum was pulverised. The line-out hiccups its way through the 80 minutes and Batters won by three points. And that's the sound of Leinster's lost bath. But is it time to throw out their Champions Cup chances with the bathwater? More on that later with Keith Wood and Liam Tolan's post-match analysis from off the ball. Welcome along to News Talks Rewind. I'm Raf Giallo, sitting in for Ushin Langan, who is away this week. Plenty to look back on in this weekend's sport, from where Ushin actually is in Boston, uh, the Fenway Park Classic, and also Rory McIlroy's success in the race to Dubai. But let's start with Premier League, and I was joined by former Chelsea, Crystal Palace and Ireland defender Paddy Mulligan this morning. Paddy... Let's start off with Chelsea. I know you watched this game, and I know in the weeks leading up, we've all been talking about Jose Mourinho's future. Did they look quite like they're back to almost a semblance of what they were? Yeah, I would have thought so. I thought that they totally outplayed Norwich. Uh, should have won by more. Cost had a bit of a nightmare. Although I know he ended up getting the winning goal, but he had a nightmare up to then. Um, not getting in the box. There's, a, there's an awful happy after developing now in this season. For some peculiar reason, Runs he was making last year, it's not bothering this year. Yeah. Some smashing balls were going across the face of the goal. There wasn't one Chelsea player in, in, in the, in the, in the six-yard box and by the penalty area to go and have a tap-in. And last year that was his bread and butter. So, you know, Mourinho was, was criticising him, saying that he's not making the runs and he's after putting on uh, um, 5K. So I don't, God only knows what, what's, what's going on there with, with, uh, with Costa's head. But they certainly did uh, look a lot, a lot better. Hazard uh, played really, really yeah. well. And he looked, he looked uh, coming back to his, to his old form as well. And speaking of Costa, the fact that he's not making runs, and we know Fabregas, I think that was only his second assist of the season, that probably impacts on other players' form then when a player, the player that's leading the line isn't exactly, you know, he's not making the runs he used to be making or he's not opening up the spaces that used to be there for some of the attacking players behind him. Yeah, and then maybe that even influences Hazard as well. Of course, so. and they need, you know, when that's when that's not happening for Chelsea up front, they need people from midfield or from full-back to go and get in there. And that and that hasn't been happening either. Now, Fabregas returned to a little bit of form as well, which which was which was a, which will be a relief for for Chelsea and for their Chelsea fans. But they still have a long, long way to go. And, and Mourinho, if he thinks he's going to get fourth place, now results could conspire that yes, they they'll end up getting fourth place. But right now, I don't see it. There's a huge game against Spurs next Sunday, and Spurs are playing very, very well. Yeah. Um, Palacino is after turning uh, an awful lot around there at Spurs, and let's hope he's given the time now to, to continue on that, that job. So that's going to be a big, a big, uh, a big ask for for Chelsea. And what what Chelsea are relying on as well is that uh, teams losing a fair amount of matches as well. Yeah. Now, now the, the the teams at the top will start losing much. There's no question about that. They're not going to go through the season unbeaten. Uh, so whether Chelsea can take advantage of all of that, that's the that's the next question for Mourinho. But certainly he'll be he'll be uh, encouraged by what he saw last Saturday that they were a little bit back to their own selves. Probably about seventy percent back, and they need that extra thirty percent to, to to keep going. And that was a one nil win over Norwich. Now you mentioned Spurs there, and I watched that four one win over West Ham. And they they look like the best bet for top, for a top four place, assuming that they can keep up this high energy system throughout a whole season. Yeah, and that's the that that is the, that is the question. Can they uh, 
can they re- replicate what what they what they did yesterday against West Ham? West Ham, I thought, were very very. I was expecting an awful lot more from uh, West Ham yesterday. Yeah. Uh, on the Slam and Vision, especially with, with with their two decent results early on in the season uh, against both Arsenal and, and Liverpool. I think um, the, missing Dimitri Payet probably has hit them a bit because he was the guy that was creating for them. But defensively, once the first goal went in. They were just a shambles. Yeah, they were a shambles. I just, I just absolutely gave up. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. A West Ham team. This, this is old style West Ham. This is back 30, 40 years when, when things weren't going well for them. They just said, ah, oh, well, so what? We're, we're, we're the footballing team. We'll get by and playing pure football. But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But they had no, they had spirit, no fight, no passion, no pride, no nothing yesterday. And that was a take nothing away from Spurs. Spurs totally outplayed them. Yeah. But by the same token, you would expect. That 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 uh, West Ham would have given something a, a, a London derby game. No, so if they can't do it, uh, you know, at, at White Hart Lane against Spurs, well then they're you know it's, it's not it's look signs are looking ominous then for West Ham. Yeah, and like I watched kind of Tottenham pressing, but actually when you look across the team as well, physically they're all well well built. Like the centre backs, the two Belgian centre backs, I mean Vertonghen and uh, Alderweireld. Eric Dyer sitting in front of them, who's another big lad. Yes, Harry yeah. Kane's not a small lad either. No, indeed. And Harry, yeah. Harry came came into good form as well yesterday, yeah. getting getting the two goals. Uh, Clive, uh, Walker at, at right back did very well and, and hit a smashing goal. Yeah, the outside was Yes, he he gave away the the, the West Ham goal, um, and that's something that's that's gonna haunt him for a while because. He, he he's not the best defensively but yesterday up to that point he was very very good yeah. and he's got great pace and he thinks that his pace is always going to get him out of trouble not necessarily so so just learn from the mistake you made yesterday and, and go on don't dwell on it but recognise what, what the mistake you've made and away you go and uh, the top four battle as well Liverpool maybe have put themselves back in the conversation now I know it was away from home again and that maybe suits the, the style yeah. of play at the moment the Klopp is trying to bring in yeah, they want to start winning at home <laughs> but it, I mean, although they pressed really well they looked really good I thought maybe Manchester City were missing some layer of protection as well apart from the fact they didn't have their first choice centre half of course as well yeah it was an awful daft team selection that, that yeah. you know to, to play to play Toure and Fernandinho in the centre midfield uh, and only have two people in there and, and neither of them are, are workhorses. Neither of them will get back. And and yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Tory thinks it's a sin to, to to rank back anybody. So uh, they were on a hide and do nothing from from the very off. Then Mangala and and, and Amy Cale as as, as centre backs, Colroff and Sanya are not the greatest of defenders. And and uh, uh, Amy Cale is and and, and uh, uh, um, uh, Mangala decided then. Well, we'll go missing today. We won't bother. We won't bother defending either. Yeah. And 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 Liverpool were just pretty much the same as it was at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge that. Uh, um, Chelsea gave up the ghost. Now City didn't give up the didn't give up the fight as easy as Chelsea did uh, three weeks back. But uh, by and large, you know, they made it that little bit easier for Liverpool. So I wouldn't be getting carried away if I were a Liverpool fan that they can go and do this or do that or do the other because they might very well come a cropper next Sunday against Swansea as they did against Crystal Palace. And that's the that's the huge concern. Can they can they get away with the system that he's playing at home uh, or not? I I see no reason why he can't. So perhaps the perhaps the players are beginning to believe now. Although it's it's pretty quick, it's only about a six week turnaround. So I, I, if if they if the players are believing as we saw uh, last Saturday evening, but then they've got, they've got they would have a chance. But the next the next uh, five or six games that Liverpool have are going to tell are going to tell an awful lot about this Liverpool football team, particularly their home form for me as well. I know as I was saying, kind of away from from home. They can let City have the ball and then they can just press them, win the ball high up and they're straight in on goal pretty much. 
But at home, if a team is giving them the ball or letting them play it out from the back, I think that may be where the weakness is because they don't seem to have the ball players a little bit further behind. It's fair enough they have the Coutinho's and the Firmino's, but if you go back into midfield, James Milner isn't always going to pick a pass, you know, an incisive true ball in the way sometimes you, you've talked about kind of Wes Hoolan in the past or in the past where they can where he can keep the ball, but he won't play the, the true ball necessarily. Yeah, yeah, and, and I thought Milner did well uh, for them last Saturday. But what, what they've got to do now is when a team comes to Anfield, um, they've got to get that team to come out and let, yeah. let, let Liverpool uh, reverse psychology, right? Let Liverpool be the ones to say, right, we'll hit you on the break and, 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 and invite that team onto you. Not too much now, but just that little bit onto you so that you can create the space uh, for people to get forward and to get forward at pace. Yeah. And that's the, that, that's the secret of the whole thing. When they get forward at pace, any team gets forward at pace, there's going to be a threat to whoever they're, they're, they're playing. So that's, a, that's the situation Liverpool now have got to find themselves in. And I don't see any reason why they can't go and do it. But if they start this slow build-up again, well, they're only playing in the opposition's hands and, and they'll get nowhere. Whereas Anfield really should be the fortress that it, that it, that it once was. Yeah. And speaking of City as well, um, Arsenal were playing a little bit earlier than them and also I think as you've spoken before they've got massive defensive issues which cropped up again against West Brom it seems I don't think it doesn't look like a team is going to go and run away with it because Man City seem to have some obvious weaknesses as well sometimes and they, all, they all have haven't they and, have, you know, and actually we'll get to Man United in a bit it's, it's ridiculous that nobody yeah. seems to want to put down a marker and say we're the ones who are going to win this league yeah. and, and maybe Leicester will go on with it and that'd be great if Leicester went and won it you know people are saying ah oh, they won't last the pace who's to say they won't last the pace the only thing I was watching like they as they've shown their squad maybe yeah their squad but highlight reels of Vardy who has been in obviously brilliant form and he's a really hard working player but a lot of it seems to be built on his pace so if somebody maybe if well, teams sit back again if, it can, if, it, if, it, if that can be nullified yeah and you know, maybe, that's the next yeah. question. It, maybe it's just a question of teams actually showing Leicester the respect, maybe that they would show a Man City by you know putting two banks of four and then letting Leicester try and play through them. Yeah, you, gotta, you, you know, with, with Ver, when you're playing against Verdi, you got to cut down the space. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And if they haven't, if teams haven't recognised that, well, that, that they're being insular yeah. and, and they're being arrogant, and it's a very misguided arrogance because you must respect every player that you play against, yeah. uh, irrespective of which team it is. If he, if he was playing for for Liverpool or Man United or, or Chelsea or Arsenal or Man City, he'd, he'd be a marked man. But because they think, oh, it's lowly Leicester, so what? Leicester are a very very fine team, and and uh, Ranieri is doing doing a smashing job. Uh, Pearson probably did a, a reasonable job there last year, even though he he would be arrogance personified. But uh, you know, take nothing away from Leicester; they're absolutely smashing. And who's to say they won't go and take care of Man United uh, at at the King Power Stadium next next weekend because they they turned them over five three last year. Yeah, and arrogance personified would be Louis Van Hal as well. Louis Van Hal, <laughs> to, to exactly. Go down that segue, but he they they kind of got away with it a little bit at Watford. Although I thought their overall performance was grand, given yes, that it yeah, was away, it was. I thought they should have been out of sight yeah. uh, at one at one point in the game, and, and again. I believe that uh, uh, the United players became arrogant. Why? I'll never know. Because a one-goal lead is a very, very slender lead. And, and when they should have been pu- uh, pushing on, uh, when they got the goal after 10 minutes, they should have been pushing on and said, right, we'll go 2-3 up here, we'll put this game to bed and, and we'll, we'll, we'll knock the ball around, we'll play at our pace and we'll dictate what we do and when we do it and how we do it. But that never happened. So as long as they left Watford in the game, 
And Watford had a few great chances. De Gea made some, some smashing saves. I know that from Deeney, a few of them were hit straight at him. But the power, the power on the shots, that if Deeney could have placed it, you know, they could have been two or three up. Having said that, United should have been two or three up. Yeah. But when they didn't punish uh, Watford, uh, well, then they, 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 they always run the risk of, of being caught. And with four minutes to go, the penalty. Uh, Rojo gives, gives away a, a daft penalty. The Watford forward is going nowhere. He's I got his back Kenny to go. Cunningham has once described him as a liability and he wouldn't trust total, him. And I think total liability. Uh, he'll be gone at the end true, of the season. Yeah. Or if he could be gone in January, but certainly by the end of the season, he'll be gone. Because he does not know how to defend. Yeah. You can give yourself the yard, even if it's in the 18-yard box, box, because he's facing his own goal. So he's going nowhere. So there's no danger. So you just keep your eye and your, and your, and your feet uh, on, 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 your, on, on your opponent. And and you're and you're in you're, you're in good shape, but if you don't do that, then it causes a problem. First of all, you put his hand around his arm around him, and then he goes and kicks him up in the air. Yeah. Stupid, stupid, Harry. And the, but the one thing, kind of looking at their defence, I think the best centre half partnership now. I know Phil Jones is an accident waiting to happen a lot of the time, but himself and Smalling seem to at least probably be the main, or I mean the lead partnership at this stage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would which would which would have surprised me at the start of the season because yeah. I, I I didn't rate either very very highly, and and uh, Smalling has done very well yeah. uh, for for United, and he's he's reading the game well, and what I also like about him as well that he breaks forward, and and he and he releases a midfield man who can turn, and can, can get up front and and and, and play off the, the striker in, in a more meaningful fashion. So that's a that's a huge plus, and I'm surprised that central defenders don't make those runs more, far more often because the space is there. But it depends if you if you if you don't want the space, well then it won't be there. But if you do want it, like Smalley wants it, you know he can he can go and create and 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 release pairs. So I mean that that is a that is a huge plus, and, and defensively he hasn't been do, doing too badly as well. I mean let's be very clear, his first job is to defend. Yeah. Anything that if he can get over that halfway line and be creative, or give it to somebody who's creative, and and support them, well then. That's a bonus. Yeah, um, and I uh, suppose to finish off as well, I, I don't think you would have seen El Clasico because it was on at the same time as Liverpool and City, but uh, Jesus, it was... Oh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was great it was, stuff. It was a massive gap ah, just watching yes. Barcelona. Barcelona are different class. Iniesta midfield is just an absolute genius. Yeah, his third And Suarez, Suarez with two goals again and... and uh, and then they, I mean, Messi, they're saying, well, Messi play, will he not play? Will he do this? Will he do that? Will he do the other? Then he comes on and... Yeah, I think he came on. I think it was two nil or yeah, it was two nil. I think at the time. And then Imagine just, having him to come know, on. Kind of that's all you need. That's, that's, all, that's all Rafa needed <laughs> to see Messi coming on, yeah. having been tormented by 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 the by the rest of the the, the wonderful players that Barcelona have. Ah, yeah. it's 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 just wonderful to go and watch them. It was, it but unless you're Real Madrid and you happen to be yeah, a Real well, Madrid fan in your own stadium. And now Ronaldo was running the show, of course, and, and uh, Benitez will probably get the get the chop because Ronaldo doesn't like him. He didn't like Mourinho, and he doesn't doesn't like doesn't like anybody. And he liked Ancelotti, he, which is why they managed to win a trophy together. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be very very interesting to see what yeah. goes on there in, in in Barcelona. I thought it was a very str- or in, in Real Madrid, I should say. I thought it was a very very strange appointment appointment Benitez. Anyway, it was odd. I thought but, that was yeah. very. But they had, especially with the style of play that he that he, that he encourages or doesn't encourage. Yeah, you know the black mark for me against, and I'm sure there are many, but the one, the outstanding one for me, is the fact that he wanted when he was at Liverpool, he wanted to sell Alonso and get Gareth Barry. That's just a no go area, as far as I'm no, concerned. Was, uh, Alonso was the man who was who had Liverpool taken, 
and, and, and Gerard was playing, Torres was playing great for them, Carter was playing great, and Reina was playing great, and uh, and he wanted to go and upset the apple cart, and then he he, he succeeded brilliantly yeah. at, at upsetting Alonso. And why why wouldn't Alonso be upset? It was absolutely disgraceful. I mean, Garrett, with all due respect to Garrett Barry, not in the same street as as, as Alonso. No question yeah. about it. And finally, before I let you go, um, obviously we qualified for the Euros since you were last here. Yes, and indeed. <laughs> we're yeah. all delighted, obviously. And the, but they're in the in the week uh, kind of since uh, since the result against Bosnia. There's been kind of talk about whether Robbie Keane should be on the plane. I know this is a very very early chat to have because we're. No, I, I take away. Robbie Keane. And yeah, and that's exactly it. I think yes, most, most, I would take Robbie Keane. Oh, for there, sure. I've been rumbling saying like we shouldn't be talking about sentimentality, but. I no, it's not sentimentality at all. Yeah, but I think the case no, is no. He, he still brings something, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch. Yeah, well, and and and, and with a bit of luck, he, he bring he can bring both. Yeah, that if he if he got the opportunity of twenty minutes to go in in a game or twenty five minutes to go, that he can go and, and and sneak something for it. But and also off the pitch. Yeah, you know he's he's he'd be excellent. So no, no, I, I there wouldn't be any. I'd be one of the first people I'd, I'd have I'd have earmarked. Yeah. And Wes Holland, of course, went back to the subs bench last Saturday. Yeah, for Norwich. Well done, Wes. Yes, you know, I, I, I'm still baffled by 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 the outpouring of 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 love for uh, for Wes Holland um, in in the Irish setup because I'm I'm afraid he Wes, you don't do it. You don't do too much for me. I'm afraid because you. Well, I can understand. It is one pundit. Let's just let's yeah, put it out there. Yeah, I want. I I can understand fully that you know by holding on to the ball, you're giving your your, your colleagues a break. I understand all of that. But it's where you're going with the ball. Yeah, I'd understand it better if the penetrating ball was being played. Not all, it just it won't happen all the yeah, time. But I just on the other occasion, he but does have I think it's five assists for Norwich. So maybe he is starting to do it in the Premier League a bit because he wasn't do he wasn't getting a huge number of kind yeah of they're, yeah they're, they're, they're five and ten yard balls and that's fine. Yeah. Look at it, that's if that's what what he can do. I don't think he's capable of hitting a thirty or forty yarder. No, which is strange for a Premiership for a Premier League fo- uh, footballer to say that. That that is weird because you should be able to, you should be able to hit a fifty yard or sixty yard, especially with the with the beach ball that they play with these days. Yeah. Should not be any problem. So that that'll be a concern, and we wish the, we wish the lads well. Of course, we'll talk more about it before June. But uh, now that they're there, don't just be happy that you're there. Which was the mistake last yeah. time, probably. Don't be happy that you're there. See how far you can go. You just don't know how far you can go. See what way the, the draw pans out. It doesn't matter who you play, but if you if your attitude is right and you have the will and the desire, you know you, you've got a, you've got a great chance. So don't leave it all behind and turn after the tournament. Say if only we done this or if only we done that. You've got six months now, seven months now to go and prepare for this tournament. So prepare to the very best of your ability and leave nothing on that pitch when you when uh, when you come off it after, after a game say that look I've done my very best and I guarantee if the 11 can turn around and say that or the 14 and how many, how many players you use on the night can turn around and say that you're not going to be far off I remember think, yeah. mem- remember the Greeks and remember the Danes yeah don't for, don't let's not forget that it can happen it can happen yeah and uh, who knows uh, we don't have a crystal ball in here obviously so we so we won't know <laughs> only only mystic o- Ocean. yeah Ocean is in uh, <laughs> oh in yeah he is over in the states yeah he's he sneaked off very quickly and never never said a word <laughs> he's in he's in trouble when he gets back 
Well, yeah. I'll let you. That, that is that is mystic. That is mystic, Oshin, because one second he's here, the next he's gone. He's like he's like the Scarlet Pipper now. We seek him here, we seek him there. Anyway, we I'll, seek the great uh, Oshin everywhere. Yeah, I'll leave you to sort him <laughs> out. Uh, that was Paddy Mulligan, and uh, there's more sports coming up. Now on to golf briefly, as Rory McIlroy celebrates success with a win at the DP World Tour Championship to finish first in the race to Dubai. Here he is reacting to victory with Nick Dye of the European Tour. It means an awful lot. Um, I had the I had the play so well over the weekend. I mean, Andy is a tough competitor, a great player, um, and and to, to battle the way I had to out there today, I think it just is testament to how how good he is and how much he's improved. And I said it at the start of the year when I played with him in Dubai. He's, he's the complete player, and um, I know one of his big goals next year is to make the Ryder Cup team, and you know he'd be a really he'd be a great asset for Europe to have in the team. You use the word battle. He'd birdie, he'd birdie afterwards. That happened several times. I didn't think he was going to miss. Um, he's, he's, you know, a fantastic player. You know, has all the shots, but he putted fantastically well today as well. And I needed to, to produce some of my best stuff to, to best him. Um, and thankfully, I was able to do it. It's a sweet finale when you find yourself in the water at 17 and then sink that putt. Yeah, um, I've a knack of doing things on the 17th green. Um, I, I, I held a big putt at the Ryder Cup last year um, on 17 to to keep a match alive with Sergio and then I held a couple of big putts on 17 at the match play this year um, and then again on 17 when I needed to I, I think just being able to go into the memory bank and draw on those sort of things definitely helps and I was just you know, a little bit lucky I was able to do it again You know, put myself in that position wasn't, wasn't obviously what I wanted to do but to be able to um, get out of that that little hole with a putt like that was, you know, it made the difference. I know we've touched on this before, but there's so much to draw on in the memory bank just of Dubai, isn't there, and the Earth Course in particular? Yeah, I mean, two wins here at the Earth Course, two in, uh, at the Earth Course, two two wins at the Dubai Desert Classic. Um, my third race to Dubai title. You know, I've, Dubai's been a a pretty a pretty sweet place for me, and um, starting the year off in the Middle East again next year so you know, hopefully there's, there's more success to come Yeah and that bigger picture doing the race to Dubai in short term as well when every other player has played so much more than you makes it all the more special doesn't it? It does yeah I'm not sure I'm sure there's a few guys that maybe don't agree with <laughs> what the outcome but uh, yeah I mean obviously I'm, I'm grateful to the European Tour for allowing me to be here this week and um, you know to win the race to Dubai and uh, in the amount of events that I have it just shows when I have played I've, I've played well so I'm obviously delighted with, with how I finished the season and, and can't wait to play a full European Tour schedule next year That was Rory McIlroy Now on to rugby Bath v Leinster was live and off the ball on Saturday as the English side won 19-16 at the rec Keith Wood and Liam Toland were on analysis and here's what they had to say The honesty in this game is Bath were better in all facets of play for the 80 minutes and yet Leinster still have the heart and capacity to stay into a game and be there at the very end they nearly got there they didn't get there set piece play was very poor include the kickoffs in that there was three knock-ons from from that set piece Uh, but I don't know their confidence was low but you know what let's start again off you go are they out of it they're pretty much mathematically in it more than likely with the pool that they're in they're out of it Let's start preparing. Well, they have to win it too long, and nobody goes there and wins, unfortunately. Yeah. Liam, your thoughts overall? It's it's a virtually impossible to win a game of rugby at this level if you can't hold on to your own scrum put-ins and your own line-outs. It did exceptionally well to battle and to stay in it, and any time an opportunity, a glaring opportunity came along, they, they took it. But I'm just thinking, I'm rattling through my head the, the, the world-class players, the, certainly the international-class players, they've graced that jersey over the last number of years when Leinster really needed it, when they needed either Richard Strauss 
or Sean Cronin on the bench to come off to make an impact when they needed all the other players that they've they've had the luxury of the last few years and they simply didn't have them today and I think we started the fixture by saying you know what is success if you lose the game today is it still is it a failure is it a success and I think that when you look at the players that were available to to uh, Leo Cullen today they're just simply not of the same quality, quality or calibre as we've been growing used to over the, down the years Soldier fire there one moment we're going to throw back to Nathan and they continue the post-match analysis of the two guys I'm going to head down to the tunnel and see what the reaction of both the Leinster and Bath players after that so take it away Nathan yeah great stuff as always Dave we will get that reaction to you before 6 o'clock but we're going to stay with the two lads at the wreck with Keith Wood and with Liam Toland. Uh, Liam, you, you were talking there, maybe we'll get to this in a few moments, about what is success and where Leinster go from here, but you're touching on the players available to Leo Cullen. The players who came off the bench, though, made a hell of an impact. Did he get his selection right, his starting 15 right? I think there's, there's always an argument you could tinker one thing with another. We've discussed it before the game, but the reality for me is the front five, when asked the big questions today, didn't have it. You think of the front five of your, like the likes of Brad Thorne and all these other guys, real, real kind of gritty international quality second rows mm. that could dominate. And I don't think that they had it. And to see the partnership with Reese Ruddock and Devon Toner, I know they got one great scrum penalty, but in the end, when Bath went for a, a no strike uh, eight man shove, they had to measure them. They, it looked at times that just like that manliness wasn't there. And you need that in many, many ways. And there wasn't a significant ball carrier. Keane Healy carried the ball once or twice, maybe. Maximum. Reese Ruddock mm. carried it once or twice. Like you, You'd like to think that, say, a Sean O'Brien playing there would get maybe on the ball five or six times uh, a half, and that would make a big, big difference. And there wasn't those yards gained. And any time Leinster players went into contact, they simply couldn't get it. And there was a, a spark when, when McGrath came. Luke, Luke McGrath came on a scrum half. He, sped, he speeded up the game. And all of a sudden, something impossible looked possible because of the pace of the game. But the quality in the Christmas of the, of the Leinster backline passing, when you benchmark it against bats, not only the putting the ball in front of the ball supporter, the release of the pass was absolutely superb. And it really created indecision within the Leinster uh, defensive system, which is up pretty strong. Mm. That said, Leinster were incapable of doing the flip side. Keith correct me if I'm wrong but from listening to your commentary I think we got one of the things we were looking for from Leinster from last week which was there was a huge amount of heart in that performance they didn't give up there was fight there to keep in this game even though it was going against them but just looking at some of the statistics and seven penalties conceded in the scrum alone has got to be hugely worrying not just from a Leinster point of view but you look at the players in that scrum from an Irish point of view as well well you do and and look for me I, I, I said this at the very start and I'm not using this as an excuse and you don't want to and yet maybe sometimes you should use this as, as an excuse there's a legacy of fatigue both emotional mental and um, not three bits and physical because we're off the mark we have an awful lot of injuries and mm. I'm, I'm talking um, Munster to a degree Leinster definitely because they bring up the bulk of the players into the Irish squad Ulster definitely because the main guys that have been at the absolute coalface for the World Cup then have to go back in and be the leaders in their own in their own setup. That's now that's their job, but it's bloody hard and bloody taxing. And I've always yeah. said it that World Cup and big competitions exact a toll out of the players and out of the leaders that are within it. And you know, I look down at that Leinster team. I think that is a good Leinster team, but it isn't great and they're not great players in it. And Johnny Sexton has been <coughs> We know he's a fine player. He hasn't played as well. 
Um, he wasn't on fire in the World Cup. Uh, Isaac Boss is a good scrum half, but he wasn't, I, I thought, anywhere near sharp enough today. Kean Healy is, we know, a world-class loose head. He hasn't played world class for a while, and he still is, you know, bearing some of that injury that is coming back. He isn't up to the standard that we would expect for him. So mm. when you do that, and you talk about some of the guys who've retired. What is your expectation then of Leinster? And we still want Leinster to do really well, and we we still expect them to have a performance first and foremost. They need to be beaten. They don't need to give it up. So they gave it up last week entirely. They were beaten this week. And yeah. I like their attitude was better, but not good enough. I would still say in the first half they got it right for about ten minutes in the second half, but that still isn't good enough in terms of an expectation that you'd have for the team. But I do think we're suffering from injuries, retirements, and everything in Ireland at the present moment in time. And we're looking at other teams that are bolstered with bigger squads and seem to be doing okay. But nationwide, our injury profile is horrible. And that takes an awful lot away from our teams. What then can Leo Cullen do about that? Because you talk about fatigue. The way to cure that is to have is to rest. But the big games are coming thick and fast. Within the next month, they're going to have to play Toulon twice. And you look at someone like Johnny Sexton, and maybe he needs to be taken out of it for a little while. But having lost these two games, Leo Cullen can't now afford to rest his senior players, the guys who may need to just step back. Does, does, he have to, does he have to make a big decision here, Keith, and maybe just go public on that, that he's going to take some of these guys out of the firing line for a few weeks? I do think he needs to... He, um he kind of needs to see everything of where it goes and if they're absolutely out of it and I think they are pretty much out of it you know when they go down to the to the south of France exactly what sort of side he picks but I know that he's trying to patch a lot of guys in together um, for me I think an awful lot has been resting on Johnny Sexton's shoulders and um, if one more game goes by and Leinster lose another one it becomes very hard and I, I like do you not pick a full team when you're playing in the Aviva, mm. you know, to be, like that's a huge, that's a huge call, and and how do you build it out to say, well, where does it fit in terms of the importance for the future of Johnny Sexton in Leinster in Ireland, and for the future of Leinster if they're out of the competition, they can't turn out a second team because that would be embarrassing and unfair to the fans and wrong to the fans, but they still need to make certain that this season will deliver something for them and for me that would deliver a whole new batch of players they don't have to take over the 1-15 to jerseys but that are blooded and the squad gets bigger and you have more people to rely on by the end of it and you make certain that Leinster do well in the Pro 12 and and they have to be going to win the Pro 12 can you do that and bring more players along yes you can but it's bloody hard yeah Liam your your thoughts on this and going back to that what is success now for Leinster this season how, if you were in Leo Cullen's position, would you handle the next few weeks with the way you select your team? Well, I don't have access to the, the um, yeah. most importantly, the mental fortitude or the mental fatigue that Joe Smith exposes his Irish squads to. And there's no doubt that there's been massive improvements in the Irish team over the last couple of seasons, but that's coming at a cost. I think there's a huge amount of mental fatigue associated with being in that Irish squad and being at those tournaments. And if if you get... If you, if, if you get that, that uh, the players have come back to the provincial stage are going to take longer to get back into the game. Certainly when they come together for their kind of a long weekend of training, they come back wrecked mentally and physically, but certainly mentally. But you think of like other, other aspects that are beyond Leo Collins' control, like Kane Douglas, the second row, 
was kind of whipped from under his nose and was one of the stars of the Australian <laughs> yeah. march to the final. You can't get away from the fact that there is a massive difference in the quality of player that currently exists available to Leo Cullen, which has is having an impact. So for all the stuff that he, and again, I'm not privy to the training sessions, but for all the stuff that he will be doing, he'll have his styles, he'll have all those other things, of course. But fundamentally, you need the building blocks of, of, of to be able to put Johnny Sexton in a, in a position that he can control the game. I thought he played poorly today. Some of his kicking was a bit skew-wise and some of his control was a bit skew-wise. But the platform in front of him didn't give him the opportunity to really shine. Now, you look at Ford, who was zipping around everywhere, and he was getting a much better quality of pass to him, and he was passing on better to the guys outside him. And, and Bath, although they scored one try each, and, the, sco- and the, the, the difference between the sides at the end of the day was very, very narrow. Mm. But you would say that there seems to be a monumental difference in what Bath were able to do versus what Leinster were able to do. And for me, that comes back to the basics of imposing your game plan on the opposition. And I don't think Leinster were able to impose their game plan on the opposition with the players that they had um, in their in their armory. Other little bits and pieces. Luke Fitzgerald at 12, who I think is a class player. I think it was only once he took the ball on an outside arc and all of a sudden Leinster were t- attacking down the, the tram tracks. A lot of the times, because of the quality of passing coming to him, he was forced, and, and obviously the bat defensive system, he was forcing to go back into heavy traffic. And there's a quality player that's kind of been neutralised by poor poor um, source of ball to him and also the, the quality of bat uh, defensive system. So there's a number of things there. But again, if you're scrum, if you're conceding, what was it, seven penalty scrums? Yeah, seven penalties like, conceded in the scrum. Like your coach can mitigate against that that's something that has to be sorted on the on the pitch like the referee made a call about whipping uh, in a clockwise way I think maybe Mike Ross was under more pressure than I initially thought and he he came off obviously but the players have to fix it on the pitch like what are yeah. you a hooker you you have to fix that stuff but there's days when you get beaten up and you have to fix it and cope with that and I think Leinster were poor that maybe that's experience that's man management or uh, team play management yeah. and stuff well you can't say that for experience for, for Mike Ross and you know, you have to have the ability to pin a scrum, um, and you absolutely have to have that ability. And that wasn't shown today. I, for me, I thought there was a, an element of where certain plays were brought. Um, uh, you have to bring the tight head back a little. But I remember John Paco uh, Fitzgerald, who was a loose head now, not a, not a tight head, but he was told in a scrummaging session. Have you no television? All, in your house? No, no, all the all the way back in in '94. <laughs> And uh, one of the coaches said, "Listen, um, Paco, we'd like you to um, um, we'd like you to take a step back in the scrum." And he said, "I know the back. back is not in <laughs> me manual, right?" Which was a cracker. He said, "I do not go back." He goes up. The tight head goes up, and that's the point. And that for me, that's what it looked like today. That they were trying to get um, uh, Keen Healy side up, the loose head side up in the scrum. They're trying to do it by taking a step back at the tight head side. That destabilises the scrum. But that's our point. So in other words, that needs to be fixed in the middle of the game. And that's not a coaching thing. That's the, There's enough corporate knowledge with the players in the pitch to fix it, and they didn't. The line-out as well. Some of the management of the target of the line-out was a bit iffy. Like, you've got Devin Toner. If you're struggling with your line-out, with your hooky, with your throw, and you've got a six foot ten guy in the middle, just win the ball. But I think it goes back down again, Nathan. And yeah. I can't overstate this too too much. I, for me, it, it comes back to um, to a bit of mental fatigue and about different guys reacting to do different things. And it comes to the leaders taking control 
and you take control by having sectional leaders underneath you to say who's in charge of them in the front row, who's in charge of, of the second row, what are we going to do, what's the right thing to do at the right time, um, let's just do it simple. And uh, I, like I listened to you talk earlier on where... Um, um, and, and Dave when he was talking to, to Leo earlier on beforehand what happens when you make a couple of mistakes it's like you make three mistakes and the next thing you do is not a skip pass from 9 to 13 it's a short little pop pass for somebody to make certain he can catch it so you do the next thing well do the basics. you do it well again and again and again and you start building up your, your confidence a little um, I think Leinster was shocked by what happened last week um, um, they didn't have a, an emotional reaction to it in the first half and they stayed in the game, which I was unbelievably impressed with because I thought they weren't playing particularly well, but they were in the game. Um, they then got a little bit later on, but some of the deficiencies that they have in their team, um, which is in the line-out and is in the scrum and is in a little bit of composure at times, that just seemed to happen. Yeah, I, I remember talking to a Leinster player last season who was talking about O'Driscoll's retirement and Cullen's retirement and Johnny Sexton having left Leinster at that stage and how during the glory years of Leinster, they were the three players who sort of made all the on-pitch decisions that when you needed a decision, you looked at one of those three and there was never a question that they would make the right one. Even going back to the end of the Joe Schmidt era, even of the last couple of seasons under Matt O'Connor, has this been a consistent team that some of the players you would have expected to step up to a leadership role on the pitch haven't? Well, leadership is, is, um, is difficult, but I, I want to say one thing there, that um, one of those players that was mentioned in it being Brian O'Driscoll, and I go all the way back to Ireland um, when I was playing, when he came on the scene, things were possible because of his capability. You know, that hadn't been possible beforehand and what's to say aren't possible afterwards mm. so it isn't just leadership that you need to get in there he was a world class player consistently for that period of time who loved Leinster who delivered for Leinster for many 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 years and when he was gone out of it when Gordon Darcy and you know, Gordon was nowhere near his flash and he did he defensively he was incredibly sound he was comforting to the team and there's times I think in the last couple of years where he didn't do a huge amount offensively but he was of a huge stabilizing comfort in the center um, those two guys are gone so what did we have then we have a rugby league guy playing at 13 and I have to say I thought he played really well for the first 50 minutes in particular Tio and you have Luke Fitzgerald, who's a winger, playing 12. And so that's hard. It's hard to have that sense of comfort in mm. the team. So, you know, this, this team is in a serious level of transition. And there's no way around that fact whatsoever. And I was talking to Jerry Thorney. I see him out of the corner of my eye over here at the end of the box. I was talking to Jerry Thorney during the week and off the ball. And I said, when that happens, what do you do? It can be black and white when we're sitting up here saying, yeah, they're not good enough at the moment. That's not good enough. But those team, that those players have to turn up on Monday and start performing again. And those coaches have to turn up on Monday and say, right, what are our plans? What is the review, the quick review we do of what's happened now? And what are our targets and our goals for the rest of this year, next year and the year after? Recognising the talent you have at your disposal, the injuries you have and everything else. Now, that means they have to go forward. So it isn't a disgrace and it isn't a disaster and they're words that should never be used in sport but what it is is a reality check for where Leinster are at the present moment in time because for the whole of that game they were second best on the field but the point is this is a team with a proud history that know how to win 
and they have to get their head around dealing with what they have at their disposal now to make that happen again. Yeah, a, a new reality of sorts for, for Leinster rugby. And I guess, Liam, as well, there was a reason why we called the last decade the golden era, because we had all these incredible players who were, in a sense, irreplaceable, and we're just really seeing, seeing that now, seeing it quite starkly now. Yeah, but also that uh, bl- blending that into the um, the leadership role, like leadership often is a title a captain carries or a vice captain carries. But the bottom line is that all fifteen and all twenty three players, when they're involved in its entirety, need to understand what to do in certain scenarios. Need all to kind of and you look at great teams at their best. I remember being down in Thoma Park and I watched uh, Munster play against Claremont and they were being beaten. And I remember uh, Jerry Flannery was a hooker and I said, "Geez, these guys!" I was in the terrace at the time and. Jerry Flannery looked at Donico Callan, who looked at whomever else, and no one said anything. They all kind of knew what to do. They understood the culture and the environment, there, and they all went about, and they went and did it. And I think Niall Ronan scored a great try in the far corner, and they won the game and stuff. I don't think Leinster currently, with the changes that they've experienced, that Keith have, have alluded to, that with all those changes, with the fact that the injuries, eight new changes for this particular game today, uh, and, all the, and then the World Cup and all that, I don't think they're at that place where they can just look at each other and go I know what to do and everybody else sets off and goes about their business I think they're still at the learning curve stage we need a flip chart we need to understand what we do in certain stages because of all the changes of players and I think that takes time so there is a transition and the very first question we were discussing before kickoff was what is success now I think Irish rugby and like the the Aviva is a big place there's 50,000 seats in it Mm. the first thing is Will Leinster fill that place now in this particular game? Because that's a big question. You know, right? We're saying around thirty-five thousand tickets already sold. Yeah, but that's that's a massive, massive question. That that and then success comes in many guises. And in professional sport, oftentimes, like you look at Martin O'Neill, people were discussing his contract shouldn't be be renewed. I think it was outrageous. What were you basing that on? And next thing, Ireland beat Germany, and all of a sudden they say, "Oh no, his contract should be renewed." So people most often uh, base success on an outcome of a fixture. When success at professional level, elite professional level, particularly at transition, is based on many, many aspects. And just because you may lose, just because you may be out of, the, out of Europe after two games or certainly after three, that doesn't mean that the f- season can be a failure to Leinster and the supporters mm. can deem it a failure to Leinster. There's still huge amounts can be achieved that can deem this season a success. Yeah, we will have that Leinster too long game live from the Aviva Stadium just before Christmas in front of however many people it is. Meanwhile, Ulster lost to Saracens on Friday night and Connacht went top of their Challenge Cup pool. Now on to GA action in the United States. Oshin Langan was in Boston for the inaugural Fenway Classic as the hurlers of Dublin Galway went head-to-head. The Galway hurlers have been in the spotlight during the fallout from manager Anthony Cunningham's pretty acrimonious departure. After the game in Fenway, after the game in Fenway Park on Sunday night, Oshin spoke to Aidan Hart about the situation. Aidan Hart of Galway, congratulations on winning the AIG Fenway Classic. It's, I suppose, a surreal experience playing and winning in Fenway Park for a Galway hurler. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I suppose you, you never would have thought. I suppose when you when you start picking up a hurler three or four, your 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 big passion would be to get out in Crow Park and all our final day. And uh, I suppose trips like this you would have never even dreamed would have come into your head, but. 
you know, to, to, to share that experience today was just uh, incredible, incredible to be honest. Talk to me about playing in the Super 11 format. 11 aside, played today on, on a gridiron, but normally a soccer pitch into soccer goals, goals only. It's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? And was it hard to get your head around? Yeah, um, I suppose for me, I had a small bit of experience. It's my fourth or fifth time playing it. I played it in Notre Dame a few years ago and, and in Crow Park during American football games and stuff like that. Um, it is, yeah, it takes a bit of getting, getting used to. One thing for sure, you'd be out on your feet anyway. You wouldn't last, you wouldn't last 60 minutes out there. So just, again, a lot of thinking you know when you get that hand pass you have to get a stick pass it's all goals teaches you to defend better teaches you to, to play better as forwards I suppose in, in link up play and I think it's, it has a great future what was, what's your favourite part of it what, what do you enjoy more than anything in it uh, what do I enjoy I suppose for me maybe one of my biggest assets maybe my, my, my control mightn't be great my striking mightn't be great but uh, my legs I suppose just to carry the ball so maybe I was doing some of that work today and, um, but to see the younger guys out there like Jason Flynn and Conor Reid and the, the skill that they possess is just incredible, incredible. He, he celebrated wildly at the end you were jumping up and down was that maybe because of the bizarre week you've just come off as, as a bunch of players? Um, maybe so, but it's just like any other game. Um, as I said there to the lads, it wasn't for sure or anything like that. Like you know, we, we really tuned in. We 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 uh, set ourselves well for the last two days, and we came here today hoping to win, as I'm sure Dublin were. And as you saw there in the second quarter, there was a few handbags and things like that. It meant a lot to both teams. So you know, to be honest, when the final whistle went at the end, having come from behind in the fourth quarter, it did mean an awful lot and showed a bit of steel, I suppose. I suppose the talk about Galway before this game was not about the Super 11s. It was about Anthony leaving and, and how it all happened. What, what's your reflections on that now? He wasn't particularly kind on the players in his statement. He said there was a kangaroo court and you were influenced by people outside of Galway and guys were trying to extend their careers, older players in the panel. Um, yeah, look, I suppose the players have released their statement and stuff like that. Um, I suppose things went on, carried on for, for six or eight weeks. Pretty whole pile to say about it. The vote was the vote, and just players thought it was best for Galway Hurling going forward, and that's all we can do now is look to the future. Was there any particular things that kind of sealed it for you that kind of sent you into the, the, the conference he went to and said, right, we, we need to, to move on, we need Anthony to move on? And you were complimentary about certain things, but certain things not so complimentary. Yeah, um, I suppose just collectively as a group, it was important to, to note that guys weren't bullied into anything. Like everyone was entitled to their own opinion, everybody shared their own opinion, and um, just collectively as a group, we just thought it'd be better for for Galway hurling going forward um, if we just had a fresh start, maybe. Yeah. Does it put more pressure on you for next year? Ah, look, there's always pressure. Um, we go into Pier Stadium in the first or second week in February when the National Hurling League starts again. There'll be pressure. There's, there's pressure every year. And, that's the way it goes you know, I can't guarantee we're going to win that Ireland in the next year but we'll be there next February March again starting off like any other team and every team has every team has a great chance of winning that Ireland in my opinion I know you've said that there was no one thing that happened and that you've referenced the All-Ireland final half time was there was that the kind of final nail I mean was there anything that did happen there is there anything that can explain that second half display against Kilkenny um, I suppose if you're asking in terms of the dressing room at half time nothing happened in the restroom um, I've heard false stories about that I can 100% categorically <laughs> deny that anyway um, things went well at half time I suppose I think we were three up wasn't it um, things went well keep it going came out in the second half and I suppose they just suffocated us uh, I haven't seen a whole pile of the game back again now what I can see is you know, they just sniffed out our forwards totally and just stopped the supply of ball going up and they just started winning a lot more primary possession and 
it's just what they do they came out a different animal in the second half Do you as players take responsibility for that second half or is that down to management or is it? Oh no definitely yeah players have to take responsibility there's absolutely no doubt about that I suppose it's a collective thing we, we win together we lose together um, players have to think for themselves on the field too there's absolutely no doubt about that and um, no we wouldn't be shunning any blame on anybody or anything like that and there's no doubt like players do have to take responsibility I appreciate you talking I know it's not easy um, Anthony hang, hung on despite the fact that he knew that you guys didn't want him on board he, he took the ratification and the county board voted for him was that something you were disappointed with? Um, he as players? I don't know I suppose look at I suppose it's it's common knowledge now that we went to Anthony and um, aired our views or whatever and um, he felt he wanted to, to hold on he, he as he said, I suppose he probably thought that some guys were bullied into their opinion and things like that. But as he said, everyone shared the same opinion, and look, it went the way it went, I suppose. And um, I suppose maybe it dragged on a small bit, but look, that's the way it goes. That's life, and uh, we're just looking to the future now. Was there proper mediation between the players and the management? He says there wasn't. I, um, to be honest, it wasn't part of the process. No, um, from what I heard, I believe there was, but look, players there, their views, management there, their views, and I suppose just come the end of the day we have to come to some resolution and you're looking forward to 2016 now would the players like to be part of the, the process to find a manager um, I don't know to be honest um, I think it's wouldn't go as far as player power I don't think there's any player power I think every player like that, that gives 10 or 11 months of the year is, is entitled to an opinion on what he thinks might be best um, as things go forward I think the county board have stated that players won't have an input so look at that's fine what they do is what they do but um all it says we were we were last year's players maybe look we're all trying to just make the panel for next year and it doesn't go any further than that yeah. and as I say you just want to get your head down and prepare for 2016 now don't you it's, is it going to be hard though to put this behind um, I don't think so look we all we've been with our clubs there since September um, we all get back into the gym now in our own personal regime I suppose at the moment through the months of November and December while there's no management and as I said we're all last year's players there's none of us on the Galway Senior Hurling panel at the moment I know it might sound a bit ironic that we're here today but there's none of us on the panel at the moment and if we're selected we're selected we'll give it all for Galway as we, as we always try and do Aidan, I appreciate it. It's a tough time and I do appreciate you taking the uh, taking the questions and doing the interview. Thank you very much. No that was Aidan Hart and that's it for this week's Rewind. Ushin will be back for next week's podcast. So until then, adios. The Monday Rewind.